Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, worship team. Good morning again. Good morning to you who are joining us online. Um, I want to thank my son-in-law, Chris, for stepping in for me last week. (laughs) I got sick two weeks ago, and uh, I thought I was going to be preaching last Sunday. (laughs) Poor Chris. Friday, I called him. Thursday, I had called him and told him, you know, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Friday, I called him. Said, yeah, yeah, 80% chance of being there. Saturday afternoon, I called him. Said, you're up, bud. <laughs> I tell you what, this COVID thing is up and down, up and down. It's So I, uh, I'm dragging a little bit here this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I did prepare a sermon outline for you. I just gave it to Bob Uh, A few minutes ago, you need one. There should be one online for people who are online. If you didn't get one, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. You need a sermon outline. Wasn't that thing that that Chris did last week with the numbers? I don't know if you were here. If you weren't here, you need to go online and watch that. It just got my head with that illustration with all the numbers. Man, I'm just so blessed that God has blessed me with a son-in-law that I can call on Friday and Saturday, and say, hey, man, <laughs> can you fill in? And, and, and he was able to do it. So that, that was pretty awesome. And we had the business meeting last week. That went smoothly. You need me to stay away more often is what I'm thinking it, it, it's all about. Let's pray, and we're going to get started here. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this morning, for this time that we can be together. We thank you that we can be here in your holy presence, Father. And Father, I pray as as I come to bring this word that you would speak in me and to me and through me. Empty me of myself and my words and my thoughts. And let your spirit run free here today, today, Father. Take away anything that might get in the way of us hearing what you would have us hear today. And seeing what you would have us see. Father, we pray your blessing. We pray that as we come out of this, we don't just have information but we come out of it with transformation. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began a series a couple of weeks ago called Life Hacks. A hack being one of those tweaks or, or changes, something that, that you can to make a modification to your behavior so that your life is better. The Bible is filled with life hacks. Instructions on how we live with one another, how to live as a Christian. How God has has come into us to change our mind, to change our hearts, to change our behavior. And and in modern lingo, you know, life hacks. And uh, in in the Bible, they're really the one another's of the Bible. And if you look through the New Testament, there there are 50 of these one another statements designed to teach us how to live with one another. Now you can condense them down to around nine, and that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. And here they are. Here's the night. We've had a screen incident last week, I see. So we need to do something with our screen. So when you write your notes, I want you to put that wave in there to kind of keep it, keep it consistent here. So, here. so I've condensed these down to about nine. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, that's going to be our subject matter for today. Accept one another, Romans 15.7. Admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Value one another, Philippians 2.4. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. 
Bear with one another, Ephesians 4.2. Pray for one another, James 5.16. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. And love one another, 1 John 3.11. So over the next nine weeks or so, we've got a couple of weeks in there where we've got some gaps. We're going to dive into these one another's. And as I said, today's one another is encourage one another. But first, I want to give credit where credit is due. This series has been inspired by a book by Max Licato called How Happiness Happens. And I kind of explained a couple of weeks ago how I stumbled upon that. But I want to give Max Licato credit on this because uh, I just loved what he had to say in this book. And, and this book is about these one another. So if you want to do some extra curricular study, that's a great book to get. First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. The Greek word translated encouragement is parakaleio. Parakaleio, I should say. Para means to come alongside. It's where we get our word parallel. And kaleio means to call out. So the literal translation of that word encouragement is to come alongside someone and call out of them the very best that's in there, to bring it out of them, to call it out, to, to, to encourage them. Let me show you how important from Scripture encouragement is. So we've got our verse here, First Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other, build each other up. Second Corinthians 13.11, dear brothers and sisters, I close my, le- my letter with these last words, be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Now here's a little bit of another perspective, and this goes into your notes here. Romans 15.5, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ. God wants to encourage us. Second Thessalonians 2.16, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace and gave us eternal encouragement, eternal encouragement from Jesus Christ and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus um, was explaining to his disciples in what we look at now, John 16, I believe it is, John 14, Um, he's telling them, I'm I'm leaving you, but I'm going to leave you with someone. It's better for you that I go because I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. And when you look at the word that that is translated from the Greek for Holy Spirit, it's the same word as this, this encourager, not Holy Spirit, for the word counselor. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another counselor who will never leave you. And that Greek word is parakaletos. It means the Holy Spirit is described as the one who comes alongside you to call out the best in you. So the Holy Spirit is to encourage us. Romans 15.4 says, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. And the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement. The Scriptures were written to encourage us. Hebrews 12.1 describes all the saints that have gone on before. They call it the, the honor roll of faith. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, all those who have gone before us to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance 
the race God has set before us. And even though the word encouragement is not in there, the image that is being given there is that all of these saints are looking down and they're encouraging you. Come on, you can do it. You can do this. You can walk the walk. You can, you can talk the talk. You can live the life that Christ has got for you. So God wants you to be encouraged. The Lord Jesus wants you to be encouraged. The Holy Spirit wants you to be encouraged. The scriptures were written to encourage you. The saints who surround you want you to be encouraged. Let me ask you a question. Do you think heaven is serious about encouragement? I think so too. I think it's there, isn't it? Now, one of the greatest stories of encouragement in the Bible, most of you are familiar with it. Um, It's a passage of scripture. And I'm going to give you a little bit of extra context today. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. And it's where Jesus asks the, the, the disciples, who do you say I am? So we all know this passage of scripture, but I'm going to bring something I hope to you this morning that will kind of open it up just a little bit more. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. It should be up on the screen there. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, most of us know that passage of scripture. But the context that I want to give you here is the location. Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is like the love child of New Orleans Las Vegas with a little bit of L.A. thrown in there, if you can have that. It it, it was an interesting place. Geographically, it was at the very northern end of Israel. It was the most northern town that Joshua captured in, in, in the conquest of the Promised Land. And it was right at the meeting point of the Hebrew land, Israel, and the rest of the world, the Gentile world. And it was quite the place. It was a trades place. So people from the east would come there, people from the west, people from as far south as Ethiopia. You've got Greeks, you've got Turks. You've got all kinds of food there. I mean, these disciples have probably got food. They've never seen food like this before. Stuff from Ethiopia. Got to be a Chinese restaurant in there somewhere. I mean, everybody was, everybody's at this place. And it was a little bit of a hedonistic, well, not a little bit, a big bit of a hedonistic place. In fact, rabbis would not allow good Jewish boys to go to Caesarea Philippi. You don't go up there. Just like I wouldn't recommend to any of my kids to go to Las Vegas. You may have been to Las Vegas. I haven't. I'm not going. (laughs) Got nothing there for me. But that's this kind of place. And uh, Jesus takes his disciples up to there. Now, it's a little bit deeper than that. At Caesarea Philippi, for thousands of years, this had been a center of Baal worship, pagan god worship. This was kind of a center for all that, where they would sacrifice children. And and the geography of the place is pretty incredible. This is an artist's impression of what it would have looked like in Jesus' day. There's this great big outcrop of rock that goes up about 100 feet like a 10-story building. It's 500 feet wide. And in the middle of this outcrop of rock is a big cave. And in this drawing here, let me see where my laser pointer is. That there, and behind this building, is, is the cave. 
And it was a pretty interesting cave. It was filled with water. It didn't go in. It went in a little way, and then it went down. They believed that this was the gate of the underworld, of Hades. Josephus, the... the, um, Greek historian, when he described it, sorry, the the Hebrew historian, when he described it, he said they let down ropes to measure the depth and they never have enough ropes to get to the bottom of this pit. They believed it was the bottomless pit. This is the gates of Hades. Now this adds context to this scripture of what's going on here. So Baal worship had been carried out for hundreds of years. And then when the Greeks came in 200 years ago, they took to it. Like a bead of honey. It's like, hey, we like this place. We like this big old cave. This is where Pan lives. The Greek god Pan that most people have heard of. Half man, half goat. One of these temples is the temple of Pan. And they would do sacrifices there of goats. They'd throw them in the water. And if the goat sank, then the god had accepted the sacrifice. If the goat didn't sink, the sacrifice had been rejected. And you'd have to find something else to sacrifice. Little Jimmy, we got a sacrifice to make. Now, they actually believe that that, that there are a lot of springs that come out from this, and it is the actual headwaters of the Jordan River. Now, when they threw the goat in there, they'd go down and look at the spring. If there was some blood coming out of the spring from this poor goat, sacrifice wasn't accepted. We need a different sacrifice. So Pan was, was celebrated. Then the Romans came along. Hey, man, we like this place. They built a temple there. And you can kind of see in the rocks here, see these little things? These are all different shrines to different gods. So this is the center of hedonism. This is the center of pantheism. This is the place where they're not just worshiping a god. They're worshiping the gods of below. That's the setting. So Jesus has taken his boys up to Caesarea Philippi. And they're sitting there. These guys are going to be completely intimidated. They're they're boys from the little fishing town of Capernaum. They haven't been anywhere in their lives. There's all these different exotic peoples. There are all these different foods and, 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 and these temples. I'm just trying to see now. I've got it in my notes here somewhere. Some of the temples that were there. Okay, there was the temple of Pan and the dancing goats, the temple of Augustus, the temple of Zeus, the court of Nemesis, the court of Pan and the nymphs. There was everything there. So Jesus has got his disciples. And I imagine they're just like, have you ever been somewhere and you could just tell it's dark? You know, you know what I mean? It's just, there's something about the place and you just can't wait to get out of there. It's like, I don't like this place. There's something dark. There's something not right here. You know, evil is real. Demons are real. Dark spirits are real. They're not just Hollywood. The way they're portrayed in Hollywood is maybe not real. But those things exist. And when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you have a sensitivity to the spiritual world that an average person doesn't have. And I know I've been to some places and it's like, nah, nah, there's no good. Yeah. That's what this would have been like. It would have been a center for that. 
So Jesus is sitting with his guys, and you've got this backdrop, this great big rock in this cave and all these temples. And he asks them, all these gods being worshipped, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now you note, Jesus is very intentional. I love the way Jesus teaches. He didn't say, who do the people say I am? He was emphasizing his humanity. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, those answers make sense because they've seen Jesus performing miracles, but Jesus is not the first person who performed miracles. Elijah had raised someone from the dead. Elijah had performed miracles. So that's why a lot of people were thinking, oh, this is, this is Elijah. He's come back to life again. A lot of people weren't around when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. They know that there was a prophet in our modern time, their modern time out there, and he's gone now. He's been executed. Maybe this is, maybe this is John the Baptist come back. So these answers made sense. So it's easy to answer that question. Who do people say I am? Oh, yes, 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 yes. And then he looks at them in this backdrop of hedonism and pantheism. Who, who do you say I am? Now, he's asking them a question that they've been asking. If you read through the Gospels, there are a number of times when Jesus does things and the, and the disciples get together and they're all asking each other, who is this guy? How does he command the wind? How does he do this? They weren't really sure. They just knew something's going on here. Something's going on with this guy. Who, who is this guy? And now he asks them, And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, I should know the answer. (laughs) You ever been in a situation where you're with someone and you've forgotten their name? (laughs) Most people are nodding. I had a sales job. I'm terrible with names. I had a couple of sales jobs in the past. And it it was happened to me over and over again. You know, you've done your sales presentation. You've done everything you're supposed to do. They're ready to buy. And I can't remember their name. (laughs) And so I'd always use the same thing. How do you spell your name again? The same way you do, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Yeah, I'll just check in because, you know, it could be spelled different ways. I bet that's how they felt here. You know, I, I should know this answer. We've been with Jesus for some time now. Who is he? Oh. And then Simon Peter. Simon, the impulsive one. The one who's always got his foot in his mouth because he said something wrong or something stupid or something out of place. Simon speaks up. I imagine the other guys are all kind of like, Jesus asked the question and everybody looks, nobody wants to catch his eye. You know, we're all looking away. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is an absolutely incredibly bold statement to make. You think about what he's just said to a human being standing in front of him. Who do... People say the Son of Man is. You are Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the Son of the living God. I imagine the other disciples' faces, they're probably all looking at Peter like, and then they're looking at Jesus. What's he going to say? Did he get it right? Because I was kind of thinking that, but I I didn't want to say it. And and fortunately, Peter said it. and, And they're looking at this guy, Jesus. He's a penniless Wanderer from Nazareth, the builder's boy. Son of God. 
Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Way to go, Peter. Fist bump, Peter. High five, Peter. Just bump here, Peter. Way to go, man. He spoke up. You know, I love what Kayla said just now. Because it, it, you ever have that prompting, you know, from the Holy Spirit that you're supposed to speak up or you're supposed to do something or you're supposed to say something and you don't. And then you feel kind of like, you talked about, you know, I, I need to say this, but uh. I think that's what the other guys are thinking. Peter said it. He was the only one who had the courage to speak up. And I mean, that's quite a thing to say. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And now Jesus builds him up. This is the encouragement. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. You're not Peter anymore. You're not, you're not Simon anymore. You're rocky. You're a rock, man. They're standing in front of this great big monolithic rock with all of these effigies and all of these temples to other gods. That's not the rock. You're the rock, Peter. And guess what? The gates of hell, they will not stand against you. They will not stand against my church. And upon this rock, I will build my church. How do you think Peter felt? I imagine immediately, if I was Peter, I'd be a little embarrassed. Oh, shucks. But then when everybody starts calling in the rock, and they did, I mean, as you read through the scripture, as you read through Matthew, he's called Peter prior to this. But in a real timeline, that's because it was written afterwards, in a real timeline up to now, he's Simon. This is the point where Jesus changes his name. You're the rock. And from here on in, he is the rock. I imagine that night when he's lying down in bed, there's a big old smile on his face. I'm rock. Big rock behind him, all these demons and stuff. I'm the rock. How do I know I'm the rock? Jesus told me I'm the rock. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. That is encouragement. That is coming alongside someone. I mean, Peter of all the disciples, he was the one, you know, somebody keep an eye on him. He's going to say something. He's going to do something. But Jesus saw something in there. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit had revealed it to the others. And Jesus is just waiting for one of them to speak up. Who do they say I am? Who's going to have the courage? Who's going to have the faith, the, the, the rock-like faith to speak it out? And Peter does it. He says, you got a rock-like faith. You are now the rock. Wow. Jesus did what encouragers do. He summoned the best from Peter and then he built him up, our verse. So encourage each other and build each other up. Encouragers are are like, you know, my my history, I'm a bricklayer, a mason by trade. And and it's the same principle. We are there to, to lay rocks of encouragement in people's lives to just keep building them up and keep building them up and keep building them up till they get stronger and stronger until what it is that God has put inside of them starts to come out of them. Taking time to encourage and build each other up pays dividends. 
Let me give you some statistics. Dr. John Gottman, he was a, year that, a psychologist that spent years doing marriage research. And he identified an interesting characteristic of happy couples. Healthy homes enjoy a positive to negative ratio of five to one. For every negative thing that is said, five positive actions or five positive statements are made. In his research, he wasn't necessarily researching that, but as he did all this research, it came out, this is a characteristic of positive, healthy homes. Same thing in business. They did research into business. They found it six to one, that the best performing teams have a ratio of six positive things to one negative. Conversely, the worst performing teams have a reverse four negative for every one, every one positive. I used to be able to add up before I got brain fog. I'm sure that's one. I saw a great quote on this, and I think I put it in your notes. Yes. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. Now, there's a life hack for you right there. Teenagers, anybody, spouses, that miserable parent... (laughs) There's a a life hack right out of the Bible. And here's the thing. And and you'll see this consistent through this series. There are two doors in life. Let me go down this road for a minute. I don't have a watch. (laughs) There are two doors in life. And I can't, thank you for pointing the clock out. (laughs) Two doors in life. One says you get, one says you give. And we've been taught by the world that if you want happiness, if you want fulfillment, if you want satisfaction, you go through the door that says you get. If you get stuff, if you get promoted, if you get a bigger house, if you get the prettiest wife, if you get the best car, if you get a boat, if you get, 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 you will have satisfaction, you will have happiness, you will have joy in your life. And there's a truth to this, because our carnal human nature naturally gravitates to that. I mean, babies, Nobody has to tell a baby to cry when they want something, right? It's natural. Feed me. Feed me. Change me. Change me. You wanted kids. (laughs) And, And that's where we start. But when Jesus Christ comes into your life, when you say, Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? And he deposits his Holy Spirit in us, something changes. We become a spiritual being as well as a physical being. And the spiritual being is created in the likeness of God. And God is a consummate giver. Jesus said, I came to serve. This is the door of you give. And when that spirit starts to take over, it changes what brings satisfaction into our lives. We get satisfaction by giving encouragement, by giving hope, by giving away. But we have this war that goes on us because we're still flesh. This is why people struggle with things like tithing. Oh, I want to be faithful to God. I want to give my 10% to God. You know, I want to do this. But there's the flesh part that says, well, I also want to get this, and I want to get that, and I want to get that. So I'm going to take care of this, God. I'll, I'll give you a little bit. It's the, the reason that people have trouble serving sometimes. I've got my time. I want to use my time for this. I want to use my time for that. I don't want, I'd, I'd like to give my time to God. It's in the head. But it, it, it's not in the heart. That's that battle of the flesh. 
If you want to be encouraged, if you need encouragement today, I'm going to tell you the number one thing you can do, be an encourager. The more you encourage, the more encouraged you will become. Now, here's the problem. We live in a culture that thrives on discouragement. I mean, look at the commercials. They want you to buy hair products, right? So how do they do that? They suddenly tell you that your hair doesn't look good. It's gray. It's old. It's got split ends. You really need this. They show you the car. This beautiful car drives. It does this. It will babysit the kids. Not like your wreck of a car that we persuaded you to buy two years ago. You need a new car. You need a better house. You need a better look. The clothes you're wearing? Seriously? Who would wear that stuff? That was okay ten years ago when we told you to wear it. But not today. You need new clothes. So the, Some of the brightest minds in our country, the, the, their number one job is to discourage us. Keep spending. Keep spending. I had the kids. We had the kids over at our house the other day. And... Um, they're watching shows on the TV that they, that they like to watch at home. And I can't remember what it was. Pat, Paw Patrol? Yes, Paw Patrol. Everybody with little kids know it. But it wasn't Paw Patrol, whatever that is. It's a group of dogs that do things. It was somebody, and there's tons of these videos, who have, it, that they're working for the company that sells the toys. And they've got the toys, and they're playing with the toys, and all the whole thing is about selling new stuff to these little kids. And then I'm watching what my, my, my older kids were over recently, and, I, and I'm watching what they watch. They're 11, James, uh, Andrew was 11 yesterday, and Charlotte's 9, going to be 9. And, the, and their shows are just continual barbs and put-downs. And I, man, this is, this is what they watch all the time. We have a culture that is centered on discouragement. Somebody needs to be the antidote to that. Guess who God called to be the antidote to that? You and me. Somebody's got to come and tell people the truth, that, 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 that God loves them, that God made them. That God doesn't make junk. And maybe, yeah, maybe you're not doing everything you're supposed to be doing. But your God loves you. He wants to change you. He cares for you. He has a hope. He has a future for you. Somebody has to tell people that truth. You're better than what they say you are. We need people who can draw the rocky out of Simon. We all have Simons in our lives. It's so my question to you. Will you be the antidote to the negativity in our culture? That's what this life hack is all about. That's us making a decision to intentionally be the antidote. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that, but I, I, I'm not really sure, Pastor Mike. I'm, I don't know if that's me. I've got three things to help you here this morning. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's very, very practical. All of the stuff in life that you need, that we need to fix or work on, is all in there. All the questions you need answered are in there. 
So I've got three things for you to be a great, how to be a great encourager. Number one, these are really simple. Greet kindly. Greet kindly. When you see someone, greet them kindly. You know, at every gathering, this gathering, wherever you go, there are two types of people. First type of people is the person that comes in the room and says, did you notice me? I'm here now. Look at me. Aren't I special? And then there's the second kind of person that comes into the room and they notice you. They want to talk to you. They want you to know that you're important. Nearly all of Nearly all of the letters in the New Testament that were taken these one another's from, pretty much all of them begin with a kind greeting. And in pretty much all of them, we are encouraged to greet each other kindly. Now, here's my experience. Too often, especially with those who are close to us, when we see them, Instead of greeting them kindly, we launch right into whatever our last grievance was with them. You come in the door. You know you left the toilet seat up. (laughs) Good to see you too. (laughs) You know you left the fridge open, don't you? (laughs) You know, Sandra and I have been married for coming up for 42 years. Did I get that right? There's still no one else I would rather spend my time with. If I have to spend my time with someone, my wife is number one on the list. I want to spend time with my wife. That's who I want to be with. And we're happy and we're still in love with each other. And I can tell you, whenever I come in the door, my wife always greets me with a positive greeting. Oh, hi, how you doing? What's going on? How was your day? always greets me with a positive greeting. It makes a difference. It's a little thing. You think about your kids. They come home from school and you've already had a conversation with a teacher or somebody. You know they didn't do their homework. They walk in the door. You didn't do your homework. And you launch right in on them. I mean, anyone ever done that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We have a kid right there pointing at his mother. (laughs) Anybody with kids has done that. There's something. I mean, you, you, you're, you're molding them. You're trying to make them into something, right? And, and correct their behavior. But we launch right into our grievance instead of first thing. Hey, man, it's good to see you. How was school today? Oh, it was really crummy. Because school is crummy. I hated school. I love learning, but I hated school because it was a constant put down. We had a rule in our home with our kids. This is a safe place. You don't bring what happens out there in here. When you come in here, we treat each other with respect. We build each other up. We don't tear each other down. There's plenty of that going on. We don't need to be part of it. Such a simple one. When you see someone, greet them kindly. Greet them like you... Man, it's good to see you. How are you you doing? That one simple thing will encourage somebody. They'll feel good about their interaction with you. Number two, listen intently. J. 
James 1.19 says, understand this. I love the way he puts it. Understand this, you lot. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Number one, be quick to listen. There's, um, you mentioned Luke. There's a great story in Luke chapter 6. I'm not going to go into it in detail. I'm just going to tell it to you. you. Most of you know it. Jesus is in a crowd of people. They're crowding around him. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching. And it's kind of like at the height of his popularity, if you will. It's in the region of Galilee. And uh, all these people are crowded around him. It's late in the day. And a synagogue leader comes up to him in the middle of this crush. And he says, Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. I need you to come to my house. And Jesus says, okay. So with all these people crowding around him, Jesus heads off towards this guy's house. Now, in the process of that happening, there's a woman who's been sick for 12 years with an uncurable sickness. She's got a bleeding. And she is unclean. That means that she cannot live with her family. She cannot live in the town. She's ostracized. She's outside of the town because she's unclean. She's seen doctors. Nobody's been able to heal her. She's not allowed to get near all these other people. But she hears that Jesus is coming. And she thinks to herself, this is my chance. Nobody else has been able to heal me. And you've got this big throng, and Jesus is on his way to the synagogue leader's house, the important person's house. And this woman sneaks in, and she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus knows that he's touched her. And he looks and he says, who touched me? You know what I mean? There's a touch and there's a touch, right? The disciples say, there's people all around you, Jesus. What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, somebody touched me. And he stops, and there she is. And he gives her his attention. And she starts to tell him the whole story. Now, to add drama to this, in the middle of this conversation between Jesus and her, somebody comes from Jarius's house and says, Too late. He's dead. If you just got yourself a little bit of a move on, Jesus, this, this wouldn't have happened. But Jesus doesn't move his attention. He's got his attention on this poor woman who who has been suffering for 12 years. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just let her touch him? She's healed and he goes on. Because Jesus knew she needed more than just physical healing. She's been ostracized. She's been out there alone. She hasn't been able to come to her family. She needs spiritual healing. She needs emotional healing. And Jesus takes time in the middle of all this maelstrom to listen to her. And she tells him the whole story. I wonder when the last time anybody had listened to her. And then Jesus says something pretty cool. He says, daughter. It's the only time in scripture where Jesus refers to someone as daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let me tell you something. When you listen intently to someone, when you shut off the TV, when you close the laptop, when you put down the phone. I was at a restaurant the other day and I was just watching. (laughs) 
the people are sitting at table with somebody else and they're all staring at their phone. When you put down the phone and you look at them in the eye, you give them a precious, precious gift. You give them your attention. I'm listening to you. You matter to me more than the phone. You matter to me more than the TV. You matter to me more than the laptop. You matter to me more than any of these other things that are going on. I am listening to you. That is a precious, precious gift. And it's not one that we see these days very often. I know my wife is sitting <laughs> she's thinking, really? <laughs> you can be a blessing to someone this week. I've taken time to listen to them intently. Number three, I better get a move on here. Praise specifically. Praise specifically. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The verb consider there means to perceive clearly, to understand fully, to consider closely, to think about it. And I put this down as premeditated praise. That means you've, you've thought about this. You know, there's nothing wrong with a high five. Ooh, job, well done. Good for you. Hey, way to go. Nothing wrong with that. But this talks about a, a whole different level, going the extra mile. I'm, I'm going to think about how I want to praise this person. And it doesn't have to be massive. This week, here's an example. This week, I got a card from someone. It's normally here. They're not here this morning. And it, it, to, to Sandra and I, and it just a, a card, and it said, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your fellowship. Thank you for your leadership. I'm praying for you. I hope you get to feel better. And what was good about the card is because I know the person that wrote the card, it wasn't just a card. That's what they think. And it was neat. And Sandra made the comment. She said, you know, he's really good at that. He's also really good at greeting people. Praise specifically. Do it intentionally and thoughtfully. Think about it. So, here's, try this. Try this. Here's a little, we want to make people happy. Here's a thing for you. Pray and ask God to bring to your attention someone he would like you to encourage. And when that name comes to you, sit back and think about that person and think about everything about them that is praiseworthy. And then call them. And start your conversation with, hey, do you mind if I take two minutes of your time just to tell you how good you are? And then tell them. How do you think they're going to feel? Wow. Thank you. How are you going to feel? Wow, I feel good about that. I'm encouraged that I encouraged somebody. Practice specific praise. All right, 12.03. Let me close with this. Greet kindly. Listen intently. Praise specifically. Now, two weeks ago, Good. Two weeks ago, I offered you up a challenge. If you weren't here, I'm going to offer it up again today. The 100 Happy People Challenge. Here's a challenge. 
make a hundred people happy in 40 days. It's like, ooh, that's a lot. A <laughs> hundred people happy in 40 days. But I'm putting a little twist on this. I'm not just talking about, hey, good to see you. I'm talking about go the extra mile. Make a hundred people happy in such a way that later on in the day when they're at home, they think back to their encounter with you and it puts a smile on their face. Now, initially you might think, well, that's a lot. I don't think I can do that. Let me tell you something. You can do that. God put his Holy Spirit in you. God, God is... God cares about people. He wants people to be happy. And after the last couple of years that we've endured, we have endured them, haven't we? There's a lot of happiness ground that we can make up. This virus is going to end. I'm thinking it's right on the horizon right now. I, think, I don't think it's got long to live here. You can write that. Pastor Mike said the virus is going to be dead. I told my sisters mid-February. Don't hold me to that. (laughs) I'm still betting on mid-February. And we'll be able to move from social distancing to social undistancing. Back to normal again. And the harvest is ripe for happiness. People want to feel happy happy. They're just waiting for some agents of happiness to come into their life and bring that happiness to them. That's what this challenge is all about. Now, I want you to think about this. I don't know how many people are in this room. 40, 50 maybe. We've got, we usually have 30, 40 people watching online. So let's say 80 people, just for a number, because that's the number I put here. (laughs) 80 people. If 80 people took the challenge to make 100 people happy over the next 40 days, what's the math there? Kelly? Thank you. 8,000 happy moments in the next 40 days. She's a math teacher. 8,000 happy moments in the next 40 days. Do you think that would make a difference to this community? to the communities outside, to the communities of those people who are watching us online. It's worth it, isn't it? 8,000 happy moments. And here's the thing with happiness. It's contagious. You make someone smile, you smile. And then they go and make someone smile. Greet them. Listen to them. Praise them. Now, I had someone call me last week. I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh, gosh. (laughs) This person's goal is not to make me happy. (laughs) He said, how am I supposed to make a hundred people happy? I don't know a hundred people. You know, I go to Lakeway. I work from home. And and I don't have that many people come into my life. How am I supposed? I want to do this. How am I supposed to do this, Pastor Mike? I said, shut up and grow up. No, that's not what I said. (laughs) I said, that's why it's a challenge. Maybe you should have a hundred people in your life. Maybe you should get out of your little local circle of people that you know. But I also said, don't let the challenge stop you from taking the challenge. 
It's not about checking off the box. Oh man, I got my hundred. It's about a hundred happy moments. Well, what if you get to the end of 40 days and you only did 56? There's 56 happy people. (laughs) You got another 40 days. Now you've got 56 experience. You've got this series that's going to help you. Start over. You've got another 40 days. Think of another 100 people. And I, okay, I don't know 100 people. Do you know 20? Make them happy five times each. <laughs> you know 10? Make them happy 10 times each. Start in your home. Start with the people that, that are closest to you and work your way out. And at the end of 40 days, like I said last time, do you know what? There'll be 101 happy people because you'll be the happiest of the lot. The challenge starts tomorrow. I'm going to give you another night to think about this and pray on this, all right? But I put it right in there. Take the 100-day challenge, journal it, tell it, live it. I'm in. You don't have to give this to anyone. This is for you. I'm in. You sign your name there. I am going to intentionally seek to make people happy. It's quite the challenge. I kind of started, kind of started. Then I got sick. And I shared with you last time, my experience already is this. It's not as easy as it sounds. If you think it's hard, it's probably harder. We'll talk later. (laughs) Next week, sermon illustration. (laughs) It's harder than you think, and it's way more rewarding than you imagine it will be. I challenge you, take the 100 happy people challenge. Amen? Amen. Oh, that was good. That was a pretty positive amen. Amen online? Tell me how many amens come in, Sandra. Oh, you don't have internet right now. Are they online? Are they watching us? They'll see the recording later. All right, that's enough from me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. You are a God who cares for us, who loves us. Father, your word tells us that you want to encourage us. Your son wants to encourage us. The Holy Spirit wants to encourage us. Your word is written to encourage us. The saints want to encourage us. And you want us to be encouragers. Father, you are serious about this. You mean it. So I pray for each and every one that's here, for those that that will see this online. Father, touch our hearts. Do to us what you did to Peter. Come alongside of us and call out the very best in us so that we can come along people and call out the very best. Father, I know that each and every person in this room wants to make people happy. They want to be encouragers. But we battle with the flesh. We battle with discouragement. Father, give us a sense, give us eyes to keep our eyes fixed upon you and to march forward in this challenge. Show us whose lives we can bring some happiness and some encouragement to. And Father, I pray for each one that is here now that you would lighten their load. Your word said, my burden is light, my yoke is light. Take away our loads, Father, so that we can be the people you've called us to be and do the things that you've called us to do. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Mr. Hector Leal is going to come up with the announcements. Turn it back on.
Awesome. Just a few announcements. First of all, if you're new to Lakeway, first time watching, you know, God could have had you doing something completely different, could have stayed at home, but there's a reason why you're here, and we're glad to have you. A couple announcements to share. Uh, first of all, 